This podcast is brought to you today by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 80, December 13th, 2009. What you got there? It's a birthday present. Mine just happens to be today. You do remember birthdays, don't you, Richard? Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we hope you enjoyed the audio from that third and final masterclass on Lost from the Hawaii International Film Festival. And I hope you'll agree it was a great series of Lost conversations. And Very if fun. you've missed them, you can always find them in our archives. We've also got some great news oh, for yeah. Lost fans who have been on the fence about planning a trip out here during the production of the last season of the show. Our friend Doc Arts has confirmed with his sources at ABC that there will indeed be a Sunset on the Beach advanced screening of the season premiere of the final season three days before its scheduled air date on February 2nd. That's right. So if you've got a ticket of on a Jira Airlines, a Golden Pass, an Oceanic, a submarine, or a balloon, you got to get out here to the island for the beach premiere on Saturday, January 30th, 2010. Now, there hasn't been one of these since the start of season three, and of course, there's not going to be another one. (laughs) So we can't wait. And those of you who can join us, we hope you'll be there. And of course, we're going to share as much as we can about that great experience when it happens. But for now, it's back to our Season 3 rewatch. Up next, we'll quickly recap the next three episodes from Season 3, Episodes 19, 20, and 21. And then we will share our thoughts. Then we'll hear your feedback on these episodes in You All, Everybody. We'll hear another fun song from The Others Lost Band. Mm -hmm. And finally, we'll cover the last two weeks of Lost production here on the island in the Forward Cabin. So, you ready? Let's get lost. All right, we're in the home stretch of season three, and we'll start with the brig. Locke takes the gag out of his father's mouth to ask him why he's on the island, but Cooper bites his hand. Ben tells Locke that they're leaving Othersville, and Locke says he'll go with them. Cindy tells Locke that everyone is excited that he's there, but Ben tells Locke that he's not ready because he needs to break free of his father by killing him. So that night, Ben brings Locke to Cooper, tied to a pillar. Cooper taunts him, and Ben urges him to slash his throat, but Locke can't do it. Ben tells everyone that he's sorry, but Locke isn't who they thought he was. Later, though, Richard tells Locke that Ben wanted to embarrass him to prove that he's not special, but that Ben's been wasting their time on the island. Richard tells Locke that his father has to go, but if Locke can't do it, he can suggest someone else. He gives Locke a file on Sawyer. The others, led by Ben, pack up and leave Locke behind, and Ben tells him that Locke can't join them unless he's carrying the body of his dead father. Locke reads the file and then burns it. Locke returns to the beach camp and tells Sawyer that he kidnapped Ben and wants Sawyer to kill him. He mentions that the files that the others have tells him about the man that Sawyer killed. Sawyer follows him into the jungle. Locke tries to ask Sawyer about his past, but Locke punches him and says that Ben's probably just running another con. Sawyer asks Locke why doesn't he kill Ben and Locke admits that he can't. Sawyer says he won't kill him, but Locke says he will change his mind. They reach the Black Rock, and Locke locks Sawyer in with Cooper. Cooper says that Locke is his 
dead son who died in a plane crash. Sawyer says they crashed on an island, but Cooper says they must be in hell. Cooper rattles off his various aliases, and Sawyer realizes that he caused the death of his parents. Sawyer tries to make Cooper read the letter that he wrote as a kid, but Cooper rips it up. Sawyer gets enraged and chokes Cooper to death. Locke thanks Sawyer and sends Sawyer back to the camp with Juliet's tape recorder, but he says that he's on his own path now. Meanwhile, Desmond, Charlie, Jen, and Hurley decide they can't trust Jack, so they bring Saeed to talk to Naomi. Naomi says they found the wreckage of Oceanic 815 with all the bodies inside and that she was hired by Penny. Saeed doesn't believe her and she pulls out her satellite phone, but Saeed says that interference is blocking the transmission. Kate finds them and asks what's going on, then goes straight to Jack, who's with Juliet. She tells them all about Naomi and the ship, but says that nobody trusts Jack because he trusts Juliet. He asks how she would contact her boat, and Kate mentions the satellite phone. Juliet says to Jack that maybe we should tell Kate, but Jack says not yet. Now on to the man behind the curtain. In flashback, we see Roger and Emily Linus giving birth on the side of the road outside Portland. Horace and Olivia stop to help. Emily tells Roger to name the baby Benjamin before she dies. We then see Roger and Ben arriving on the island. Ben meets Annie as Roger gets a job as a janitor. Mm. Later, Ben experiences an attack by the hostiles while he's in class. That night, as Roger yells at Horace about the shootout, Ben sees his mother at the window. When Ben's birthday comes around, Annie gives him a doll, but his dad is drunk and says it's hard to celebrate the day you killed your mom. Cold. Ben runs into the jungle and sees his mom on the other side of the sonic fence, but she says it's not time yet and disappears. Later, Ben sneaks out again, turns off the sonic fence, and runs into Albert in the jungle. Ben says that he's looking for his mom, but she's dead. Albert says he should go back, but Ben says he wants to go with Albert. Albert says he'll have to be patient. Years later, Ben is an adult, and he's also a workman like his father, and his dad, again, forgets his birthday. So, parked up on a hill, Roger says that he'll do his best to remember Ben's birthday next year. But Ben says that's not going to happen, puts on a gas mask, and sets off a gas canister. Roger starts coughing and bleeding and dies. Ben returns to Othersville and finds everyone else dead. Albert and the others arrive, and Albert asks Ben if they should go get Roger's body, but Ben says no. On the island, Ben realizes that Juliet's tape recorder is missing just as Locke walks into the camp with Cooper's body. Ben tells Locke about Jacob, but says he's the only person who talks to him. Locke says he thinks there's no Jacob and that Ben is the man behind the curtain. Then Mikhail runs into the camp and tells Ben about Naomi. Locke says that that's going to have to wait until after Ben takes him to see Jacob and beats up Mikhail when he protests. Ben then tells Locke that Jacob is going to be very angry. They do arrive at Jacob's cabin and Ben tells Locke to turn off his flashlight and lights a lantern. They go in and no one's there, but Ben talks to an empty chair chair. Locke says he's crazy. Ben says Locke is just too limited to see Jacob. Locke turns to leave, but a voice says, help me. Locke turns on his flashlight and things start to shake and fly around. Locke runs out and Ben follows. Ben asks what Jacob said to Locke and Locke says there's no Jacob that you Ben just put on a show for him. Ben says he wants to show Locke something. So Ben brings Locke to a pit of skeletons and says the Dharma initiative failed to coexist with the island's original inhabitants and had to be purged. He shoots Locke who falls into the pit and Locke asks why. Ben says he did it because Locke 
heard Jacob, Locke says that Jacob said, help me. Well, Ben tells Locke that he hopes Jacob helps him and leaves him there. Meanwhile, Sawyer gets back to camp and shows Saeed the tape recorder. Saeed introduces Naomi and says they were keeping her a secret from Jack and Juliet. Sun says that Juliet is a good person, but Sawyer plays Juliet's tape. Jack and Juliet show up. Juliet tells them she told Jack about Ben's plan, and Jack says he was just trying to figure out what to do. Finally, greatest hits, and in flashback, we see Charlie's five greatest hits. We see him learning to swim as a kid, hearing a drive shaft song on the radio for the first time, getting his grandfather's ring from his brother Liam. He rescues a woman from being Not mugged, yet. and she calls him a hero. And finally, he's meeting Claire on the night of the crash. On the island, Ben returns to camp and tells Alex and Alpert that Locke had an accident. He dispatches his team to leave on their mission early to just take all the women and kill any men who get in the way. Alex goes to Carl and tells him to warn Kate and Sawyer, so Carl grabs an outrigger canoe and starts rowing toward the survivor's beach camp. Meanwhile, Jack and Juliet lead everyone into the jungle. Jack says that Juliet did tell her everything and he went to get help from Danielle. Danielle appears and blows up a tree with dynamite. Jack says that hiding is pointless and for once they know what they want and will be waiting for them. They start wiring their tents with explosives. Saeed tells Jack that Danielle's radio tower is jamming Naomi's radio. Juliet says an underwater station called the Looking Glass is also jamming signals. Juliet tells Saeed that Ben said the station was flooded and she doesn't know where it is. Saeed says they can follow the cable they found on the beach, but Jack said that plan will have to wait. Naomi tells Charlie that his death on the plane made headlines, and Charlie tells Claire that he's going to protect her and Aaron. But just then, Desmond shows up and asks to talk to Charlie. Desmond tells Charlie that he saw a rescue helicopter and that Claire and Aaron get aboard, but... Charlie has to die first. He says he saw Charlie flip a switch and then drown. Hurley notices Carl rowing ashore, and Carl tells him that Ben's men are coming early. They change the plan to shoot the dynamite instead, and Jack tells Danielle to lead everyone to the radio tower. He also asks Charlie to swim to the looking glass. Saeed tells Jack he'll handle the ambush and sends Jack to lead everyone to the radio tower. Hurley goes up to Charlie and Desmond and says that he wants to go with them, but Charlie says that Hurley can't go because he won't fit in the boat. Ouch. Charlie gives Desmond his list for Claire. Desmond tries at the last minute to replace place Charlie, but Charlie knocks Desmond out and dives into the ocean anyway. He gets down to the looking glass, but suddenly two women appear out of nowhere with guns. And, and thud. thud. And that is our next three and almost last three episodes of season three of Lost. And in, it was under eight minutes, or yes. about eight minutes. So we'll take a short break to catch our breath, and then we'll come back to share our thoughts on these episodes. Well, we can't wait to share our thoughts on these episodes from Season 3 and get to your feedback in you all, everybody. But first, we wanted to let you know that today's podcast is indeed brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that can be downloaded and played back anywhere on your computer, on your iPod, anything, just like the transmission. And thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Now, there are many books mentioned on Lost and many books that can deepen your understanding of the show and audible.com is a great way to dive into them and as we mentioned recently one of the books that you can get was eating the dinosaur by chuck klosterman now this title was suggested to us by a listener and a writer named zoe staggs and it actually turned out to be your very first audiobook yeah it did so how did you like the experience for one thing listening to a book it actually it's very entertaining it goes by very fast you get very sucked in in fact i sat around pretty much for five hours straight (laughs) listening to the book and it's really his 
most diverse book. He talks about everything. He talks about sports. He talks about music. He talks about TV. He d there's a chapter about time travel. And you could connect it to Lost, but really he talks more about Primer mm. and he talks about the ethics of Primer, like how the ability to change the future would would possibly raise ethical questions. Right. It's actually a very, very entertaining read. Well, it sounds very interesting. And again, you know, it might not have been about Lost, but we like Primer and of course Donnie Darko and all of these other movies about time travel. So this is just another great way to feed your hungry Lost brain. And actually, I should mention that Audible.com books work on the Amazon Kindle, the uh, book reader, a device that you might have just sort of discovered accidentally was your Christmas present when you opened the box when it arrived. Oh yeah, but and I gotta say, it's a sexy piece of equipment. Exactly. So audible.com works with that as well. So eating the dinosaur can be your pick if you sign up today. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. And we definitely want to thank everyone who's tried it out and yep. helped uh, support our show. So moving on to our episodes for this podcast, we begin with The Brig. How'd you like it? These are probably the three strongest episodes of season three. I agree. I mean, you really, I mean, the, all of the ch cliches jump into my head, you know, where the rubber meets the road, where they kick it into high gear. I mean, yep. you feel traction. You feel grip here. Uh -huh. you, you're on the edge of your seat. You feel momentum. And it's such a big contrast to other periods of the show's past where you're not sure if they're treading water or even trying, but you definitely feel velocity. You, I mean, it, yeah, it's just a great stretch of episodes. The scene where Sawyer confronts Cooper, mm -hmm. it's such a great scene. I mean, it's a, it's a pivotal moment in, in Sawyer's transition as a character. It's when he starts to change and it's the, the atmosphere of the Black Rock is so spooky and it adds to the tension. It's such just a, such a compelling episode. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a big moment for the character. I mean, certainly a pivotal one for his character, but for the entire show. I mean, you think about some of the big reveals that we as an audience know that we're waiting for the characters yeah. to figure out or suspect like, oh, Jack finds out that Claire is his sister. Yes, that moment for Jack was a strong moment for Matthew Fox, I suppose, but nothing compared to what Josh Holloway was tasked to do, what he had to do as an actor to show this. And it was so raw and uninhibited and very vulnerable, yet full of rage at the same time. I mean, he was all over the place. And so, again, my hat's off to the guy. He and definitely deserves more credit than he's given. I agree. I agree. And when you said spooky about the Black Rock. I mean, I, to me, it carried the tension of a horror movie, you yeah. know? Uh, and maybe it, I don't know what a horror movie is actually like. I mean, a big chicken, you know, the idea of Saw and all those movies, no, I, I just can't handle it. But I was terrified with with just the setting and the music and the lighting and everything. So, yeah, a powerful, powerful scene there. The de actual death of Anthony Cooper really reminded me of Princess Leia strangling Jabba the Hutt oh. in Return of the Jedi. Well, I I can see that to some extent. I mean, I don't think the characters and what they represent necessarily line up. No, there, but I, I just mean that. the fact that he strangles him with a chain like Princess Leia does. Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the immediate parallel to me is the way that Ben kills Locke later on through right. strangling. And that's right. also a very graphic death. And, you know, it really called my, to my mind the death in, uh, you know, uh, No Country for Old Men, which was one oh, of the best right. strangling scenes yeah. ever. So, you know, I think this one is up there. Now, this is also an interesting uh, episode for Locke's character and Terry mm -hmm. O'Quinn. I mean, you definitely get the sense that he's up to something. That that smile when he's, you know, he's enlisting Sawyer to help him. And, you know, Sawyer's reluctant, but he says, hold up, hold up. Okay, okay. And then you see Locke walking away with a very 
Ben like smirk. That's a you're right. It's a Ben like smirk. I mean, the characters are frequently given on the show an opportunity to be facing the camera when the other characters can't see them, and maybe they look confused or they're having second thoughts, like Sun giving Jin a hug when she's mm-hmm. actually thinking about something else. But that was definitely a good look on ben, uh, Locke's face as to what he's pulling there. Now, about the uh, what do you think about the actual appearance of Anthony Cooper on the island? I mean, what's going on there? What is this magic box? Okay, I have a really really crackpot theory. Okay, I think. Lock, I think um, Ben and Alpert are really hot on getting rid of Cooper because if Cooper dies, he that means Locke will not ever exist. And Locke not ever existing uh, would have some impact on events on the island. But the Anthony Cooper we get on the island is gray-haired, very old, having pulled all the the cons that he's going to pull, having already killed Sawyer's parents. I said it was crackpotty. I, I didn't no, say it was going to make any sense. I, that's Well, okay. That's one way to p- possibly explain it. And it's not something that's easily explained. I mean, what I get the sense of, you know, Ben is very matter of fact. Locke, what, you brought him here. What are you, why are you asking me why he's here? Uh-huh. You brought him here. And I think what we're seeing and what we're going to see in the next episode with, you know, possibly Ben and his mom is that when you're on the island and you're uh, being haunted by something or you're obsessed with something that it, it creates it and puts it in front of you because you need to clear yourself of it. You know, mm-hmm. exactly what Ben says. You need to make a gesture of, of free will. And in your life, it's your dad. Your dad is right here. You need to cut him out of your life before you can be one with the island. I think that actually might be what's happening. But in terms of the practical explanation of why he ends up on the island, and he definitely seems to have memories of where he was in Tallahassee right before he shows up. So he's not like a he's not like a fake you know embodiment like the smoke right, monster and, right. and and that it's it seems to actually be him so i'm i'm not sure how much more magic box that i can necessarily take on the well, show well i mean if what shows up on the island is a manifestation of a person's guilt or bad memories or whatever i would think kevin would have showed up on the island that's true that's true and actually uh, the 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 appearance made me think of the missing pieces scene or episode where walt is being kept in room 23 right and, and all, these all the dead birds, birds yeah. show up you know mm-hmm. and like he's summoning these birds i'm not saying that these birds you know were came out of thin air or some bird that he actually remembered from new york but again i think that something about certain people having communion with the island and therefore being able to manifest objects so definitely the magic box that's probably a big question that might have to be addressed in season six now the car crash in tallahassee i mean we've discussed that before mm-hmm. i mean car crashes are to play a role in many of our characters past many and, um michael Locke, uh jack even. right right boone and shannon uh-huh. and, and all of them as well and of course tallahassee being a very common you know a hub of lost activity so i thought that was very interesting i liked anthony cooper's story about how the guy was smiling when he got the shot that knocked uh-huh. him out yeah. because if there was some sort of regular conspiracy of actual people conspiring to bring him to the island, like not transported magically by the magic box, but actually people went to get him. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did when they went to get Juliet. They that's went right. to go get her and knocked her out because being knocked out is a prerequisite for the tr- for the trip. Yeah, it's so, very intense. So that's the other way to look at this magic box, that it doesn't, you know, magically bring someone there, but there is a mechanism with which involves people and power and money right. and a worldwide network that can get things to the island. So, you know, maybe it's not necessarily magical. So what's happening with Sawyer's feet? Yes, um, we mentioned during season five that uh, there were at least two episodes during season five where Sawyer steps on something and injures mm-hmm. his foot and is like, ow, you know, son of a bitch. And it's really 
not, you know, they're not subtle about inserting no. in there. Um, Nate in Ohio uh, made a comment to that effect. And in this episode, his feet definitely are, 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 are beleaguered. Well, because Locke won't let him put shoes on, he has to follow Locke straight into the jungle barefoot. And he imagine he steps on a lot of stuff. And finally, he only gets relief from stepping in the stream. Right. So, I mean, that strong emphasis on his feet. And we've recently discussed Juliet's bare feet and other bare feet in this show. And, of course, you've got shoes that come up all over the place. I really like these motifs, whether or not they actually signal anything or mm-hmm. are a secret message. Um, definitely a fun thing to pick up on when you do a rewatch. Now, one, a couple of lines really stood out to me in this episode. First of all, Ben says to Locke that this isn't, you know, don't worry, this isn't the first time we've taken women. They'll be fine. Right. So, but then I'm like, well, where, what was the history of taking women from outside for these people? Well, I don't know. It is Ben saying it, so it might not be true. Well, there's that, I suppose. The only, I mean, because, I mean, I'm not getting the sense that there were several plane crashes and they went to retrieve other people from plane crashes or, you know, taking them to I that. I don't know. To Rousseau that was pregnant and Rousseau wasn't taken. Yeah, they were the after baby the baby in that case. And they, are, they have taken children too. So, I mean, obviously there's a continuum here that there's a great deal of interest, but I'm wondering that maybe during um, Dharma times, the others were coming into Othersville to get the, the women or babies. And when mm-hmm. the alarms go off and they're intruding into, you know, getting into their compound, at that at that point, it's a, it's a retrieval mission, you know, from the from the others to, to the Dharma initiative. And oh, then, of course, when yeah. they take over Othersville, it's reversed and they're going out to bring women in. But mm-hmm. still, they're, they've been doing it all the time. So that's the only way, that's the only place I can see it fitting in where this seems to be a hobby of theirs. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I, it seemed like it made sense when he said it until I really started to think about it. Um, the other line that really caught in my craw in a less, less entertaining or thoughtful way was when Saeed tells Kate, you know, Listen, you're going to have to keep this quiet. Good luck with that. Well, not only that, but they cut immediately uh-huh. to her storming over to Jack and Juliet. Like, it's bad enough what they make her character do. It's bad enough that she's the tattler, that she can't keep a secret, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it was almost sitcom timing there. Yeah, it's, it's it just is. like when you see a sitcom guy sitting on the couch saying, There is no way that I would you would catch me standing on a table dancing in a hula skirt. And you know what the next scene is gonna exactly, be. Exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly what they did there because yes, I mean you don't go to Kate and say you have to keep this a secret. So in, in to some extent it was entertaining, but to some extent it seemed a little cheap. Mm-hmm. Um any lines or uh dialogue that really stood out to you? Pretty much anything Cooper says. Oh, it he was great. He's just so cruel and so cold you wonder how such a horrible human being can function <laughs> well the fact that he's at he's at the same time confident that they're in hell but still uh-huh. a little confused as to exactly what's going on i kind of like that but really when he's saying talking to Sire and he goes reading the letter and he goes blah 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 i wanted to strangle him. oh yeah I mean, he yeah. was it's 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 just so unfeeling and so cruel of him and yet you know just before that blah 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 line when he seems he's in control um it's where sire realizes who he is and sire goes mm-hmm. well how about that and cooper has a completely lost look on his face and he goes how about what you know and you're thinking yeah, he's like he's a caged he's like a caged animal that's what cooper is like well because... that was not that's definitely on purpose that's why he bites yeah. You know, locks head. I couldn't think of any other reason for that except that he's just way, you know, over the edge. He's yeah. just completely primal at that point. So good stuff. There was also um, Ben says to Locke, don't tell me what I can't do, John. Yeah, yeah so, he just throws Locke's 
line right back in his face. Right. I mean, I think other people have said that too. Kind of a theme of the show, and mm-hmm. it, it goes around and it comes around. So I like when those get repeated. Also, Sawyer references Locke's blow everything up that can get us off the island tour. <laughs> yes. That made me laugh because everybody had been re- referencing, you know, the last few episodes mm-hmm. that way. It's his blow everything up tour. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I kind of like it in some respects when they basically. V- vocalize what the fans are saying about the show they're like all right we understand that you're kind of you see this trend that he's that's going on and we're cementing that yes this is exactly what we had in mind and of course um he had that other line uh you're undercover with the others you know (laughs) i don't know if it was meant quite as comically as i heard it but uh, definitely another good line so a lot of good lines a very good episode but let's move on to the man behind the curtain when we originally watched this episode, I was very, very concerned at the end. I mean, what do we have? We have an invisible man in a chair. <laughs> we have another dude that doesn't age. And we have somebody's dead mom. Right. And I think this is an episode when we first saw it. It was during the first and probably last lost viewing party that we yeah. decided to attend. It was at Jackie Chan's restaurant. Terrible mm-hmm. food. Went out of business very quickly. But in any case, it was al- it was already difficult to figure out what was going on with people around you talking and stuff. So I, I, I do remember not enjoying this episode as much as I did during this rewatch. I think it's a great episode. It's a great episode. It's scary. It's fast-paced. It just... It kept me on the edge of my seat, and I and you know it's one of those times where I was so frustrated at the end just because I had to know what happened next. Right, and then we talk about we just talked about how spooky the 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 Black Rock was. Talk about Jacob's cabin. Oh, that's the that's man. the that's the stuff of horror movies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just the the help me, and then you don't know if you see it, but you think you see it. You think you see Jacob's face for a second, and it it nearly made me jump off the couch. Well, the the interesting thing though is that we were just listening to the, the audio from the Lost Master class where, yeah. we, where we hear Robert Kiker the prop guy talking about how he was the guy sitting in the chair mm-hmm. for that one frame that everyone sort of took pictures of and figured out oh that's a picture of Jacob and it was just him he had no idea that that was going to happen so you're also thinking about that when you're watching the scene so that helps me you know not wet my pants and then the <laughs> picture of the dog which which was the picture of the, the, the costume designer's dog you know Roland Sanchez's mm-hmm. dog Lulu so um, and they were talking in the the construction class about they were really frustrated about having to put up this cabin all the time and they were so happy when they set fire to it so in the back of my mind i'm smiling watching this scene that also scares me at the same time but yes powerful stuff definitely another great episode one of the most telling lines is when ben says to Locke, jacob feels the same way about technology as you do yeah and you know i didn't pick up on as much the first time as I do now, um, a couple of things. Of course, we had Locke saying, you know, here you are with eggs in your refrigerator and, um, you know, all, you have electricity, you have all the comforts of home and you're cheating, you're cheating. Yeah. So that definitely is something that they're really inserting in this scene as well. And I don't know, I'm slow, but I didn't really pick up on the fact that the reason why Jacob flips out and shakes the cabin and throws thing at them isn't because of this confrontation between Ben and Locke and he's fed up, but the thing that sets him off the flashlight. is the flashlight. It's mm-hmm. when... You know, he hears something and Locke turns on the flashlight. That's when all hell breaks loose. So I think that's kind of fascinating. I kind of took it as, you know, Jacob or whatever the spirit is in this cabin. And we'll definitely discuss that, you know, having a problem with this conversation between Ben and Locke. But no, it was really flipping on the light. And then that's Mm -hmm. what did it. So I'm very curious what that means for, you know, the overall arc of the story and where we're going to go in season six. Because it seems when we we enjoyed all this time in Dharmaville in the 70s and domesticated life and cabins and all of that, I think that I'm hoping that season six pulls us really back to primitive, you know, things, Mm -hmm. really primal things, the jungle more and more. So good stuff there. Did you notice that Ben talks to Jacob kind of like he's a child? 
Yeah, like, uh, you've had your fun, knock it off. Yeah. How, what kind of a dynamic is there in that relationship where Ben gets to address the supreme being of the island like like a child? Well, he he admits later on, actually in season five, he admits that he never met Jacob, that he was putting a sh- on a show for Ben. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, you're like, okay, well, he's just putting on a play, and that's what he figures he should do when all hell breaks loose. But if he didn't think there was anything there and things started flying around, I wouldn't grab a chair and say, knock it off and continue the act. I would have been out of there like a bat out of hell. I would have run for it. So, yeah. I mean, all I can figure is that Ben had been in that cabin before. He yeah. had had interactions with whatever presence is in there. And in fact, there was probably a tantrum just like that because Ben made the same mistake with a flashlight. So that's why he warned Locke about it. But he had never heard a voice. He had never actually had a conversation with it, hence the frustration with Locke hearing something more than he did. And of course, now the theory is that that was not Jacob at all, that it was the man in black that was there instead because you have in season five, Ilana says he hasn't been here for a long time. You've got the broken ash, which seems to alarm them. So there's a lot more going on with this cabin and definitely a conversation for season six. There are so many similar between Ben's mom and Locke's mom. They're both named Emily. They both give birth to premature babies. And so what I'm wondering is, does Locke manifest his dad the same way Ben manifests his mom? Well, actually, that's what I was thinking when we were discussing um, the brig and how did Anthony Cooper get there. There's sort of the same strange mystery with what his mom is doing there, except that there's sort of the same thing going on. Ben is really yearning for his mother because of what a crappy dad his dad is, Mm -hmm. so she keeps showing up. Now, she doesn't seem as confused and as lost as Anthony Cooper is, so maybe that's not what it is. Maybe there's some other force at play, and as we know, it could be the the smoke monster or the man in black taking other forms as we now know that he can. But I did think that there could be something to you brought him here, you know, or you brought her here, Ben, as a kid. You brought her here because the whole conversation with Richard where he seemed surprised that he saw his mom specifically because his mom didn't die on the island. It's not like his mom died on the island and got possessed by the man in black. Yeah, his mom died, she died off, off the island, island and yet he's brought here. Sort of, So that could be one way to look at it. I def- that was definitely one of my thoughts. Another thing that struck me, so you've got you know Ben, he killed his dad and that was kind of the big reveal. Locke was told that he has to kill his dad to you know right. make it on the island and to be who we think that he is. So there's these people that have to kill their dads and they're in important positions on the island. But you've got Kate. Kate is not allowed to go with them. You know, Locke says, you can't come with us because you're not a good person. They told me what you did. Why is it bad for Kate to kill her dad, her stepdad? Yeah, but what did she do? They don't say that it's because she did. She killed her dad. It could have been anything. It could have been for drugging her ex-husband. It could have been for killing her friend. It could have been just because she was a horrible daughter. They don't say... <laughs> That it's because she killed her dad. Well, I think, though, that we if there's if there's anything that's on the short bullet points for each of these characters, the thing that Kate is haunted by and must pay for is the is killing her stepdad. Yeah. So, again, I mean, at least I will assume that the thing that made Kate a bad person and the big issue in her life is that she killed her dad or her stepdad. No, um, but her stepdad is her real dad. Yes, yes, her stepdad, who she thought was her stepdad, turned out to be a real dad. So, But anyway, it's good for Ben and Locke. Right. But it's bad for her to do it. So that's just one thing that struck me. And I couldn't I couldn't help thinking about how Ben specifically said to leave Roger's body where it was. Mm-hmm. We, we It's made a very big deal of that bodies need to be burned or they are 
possibly vulnerable to possession. Right. So why is Roger's body left? Yeah, I think that was curious. I mean, they make a big deal about burying them or setting them on fire and putting them out to sea. I mean, mm-hmm. they're very particular about what happens to bodies, and it must be, or it's a fair presumption that that's because of what the man in black or the smoke monster can do. But it's also clear that, you know, Roger Linus' uh, skeleton is still found in the van and when it's overturned and at the bottom of the hill when Hurley and, and them find it. So maybe it just wasn't... Uh, something that he decided to pick up on or maybe you know ben in terms of getting ben to do something by using his dad against him had already taken place that you know he was already sort of feeding some kind of higher purpose that the smoke monster or the man in black wanted him to do right okay okay but i definitely yeah the fact that he says do you want us to leave it out i mean the reason why the fact that it's a line of dialogue definitely gives you reason for pause uh things that i noticed i liked how you know they locked starts beating the hell out of Mikhail and Ben's like, come on, Tom, Richard, why aren't you doing anything? And they're just sort of (laughs) sitting there sort of smirking. And, you know, that's kind of a cool way to really graphically illustrate how much of a loosening hold that Ben has on his people. They want to change. They're losing their confidence in him. So they're not going to help when the new chosen person shows up and starts beating up on Mikhail. One thing I noticed, Locke tends to eat fruit when he's acting (laughs) Kind of weird or or out of character. Right. I mean, back to the orange peel in his mouth in the pilot. Right. And um, he's bringing Ben to see Jacob and he walks past uh, Mikhail and he's and he kind of smirks at him. And he's eating. I don't know what he's eating, but you're right. He 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 definitely seems to savor the citrus fruits. And yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice inclusion in this episode as well. Um a uh, key line in this episode was, you do remember birthdays, don't you, Richard? I mean, mm-hmm. definitely picking on the fact that he doesn't seem to age wherever he is. And they went way outside of that in season five from uh, right. d- dozens of decades where he's the same person. So I like that line. Jack, Jack's line, I think we've got some catching up to do. Oh, you just I just want to punch him. I know, me too. <laughs> he, the whole thing about, you know, I'm just going to bring you people up to speed now that I'm ready to do it. You know, I, I, I can't. It, a lot of people say that this was the Jack who knows what he's doing, the Jack who has a plan. But boy, he was a jerk. I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure if this is really the Jack that I like after all when you see him in this place. Um, the, the, the And Roger, I, mean, I, I do want to point out that, you know, ben, this episode for Ben and how he grew up and what his life was like, Roger was not a great guy. I mean, he gets a little more sympathetic portrayal in season five but here he says like i don't care about your education or i don't care about his education that's not why i'm here which is just that's great thanks dad he's a terrible (laughs) parent he's i don't know he's up there i don't think he was redeemed all that much in season five i think he was still a pretty terrible person yeah and uh i think the last line for this episode i wanted to ask you about is you know uh the girl tells ben what's her name Uh, annie annie tells ben here have an apollo bar we can have as many as we want yeah but charlotte says that they can't have any after dinner or before dinner well she can't have any yeah yeah. i'm not sure if that's like a universal rule on the whole you know dharmaville campus but why can children get unlimited access to a specific brand of chocolate bar that's a little creepy that's a little strange not unhealthy unless apollo bars are another delivery method for something that needs to be administered to the populace well that's what it, that's what I mean. That's why it's creepy. It's very 
cult you know it's it, it brings up mem it brings up images like i don't know the whole scene where ben walks into um dharmaville after the massacre it really reminded me of jonestown oh definitely definitely and so yeah you can see the cult elements and as far as the candy bars maybe they don't give the kids shots maybe they just put the stuff in the candy bar but <laughs> you know you've seen that the, the cat that's the same candy bar that jack gets when he meets jacob in his flashback so right the, the apollo bar might be you know also might be something significant well wow we're really enjoying our conversations about these episodes <laughs> let's hurry on to our final one for this podcast greatest hits the charlie episode i wasn't really a big fan of charlie oh. up until the last few episodes of this season but for me he really changed a lot he was you know we see him for the charming witty funny sweet person that he is yeah i mean i don't think charlie was an awful character i think that you know a lot of other characters had it worse but it was only in these episodes where he got that depth that we really felt he, that he was a person to care about and follow but that's only because the writers were finally focused on him mm -hmm. and giving him that kind of weight because of what's going to happen to him so it mm -hmm. was it's still a bittersweet series because here's a guy that's really coming into his own this could be a wonderful character if he was like this all the way through the series and not just the, the junkie or not just, you know, fixated on Claire and the jealous guy. And he had all of these dimensions that they're giving him. So it is a little sad, but I agree. I mean, Charlie definitely wins us over. You fall in love with him with this episode. Yeah, absolutely. The opposite of falling in love, I, I got to say, I mean, I just mentioned how Jack annoys me. This is mm -hmm. this is the worst episode of all. You fell he's, in hate with I Jack. Like, because he's just pulling this with Saeed particularly. You know, Saeed's like, I have this plan. We should get to the underwater station. We do that. And Jack's like, that's going to have to wait. I'm the boss. I'm the leader, ain't I? And he's just continuing to hold all the cards to really assert that he's the only one who really has the plan. And if there was any time where I wanted to see Saeed just punch him in the face, it was this episode. It, he, on he one reached hand, the highest level of douchebaggery. <laughs> well, on one hand, I feel for Jack because he was made the leader by default because he was the doctor. He looked like the most responsible person. So he was called on to make decisions like that. On the other hand, though, he really doesn't have to go about asserting his power that way. Well, the other thing that Saeed rightfully points out is that, you know, I think, Jack, you're being motivated by revenge here, not by any actual higher purpose of getting us all rescued. There's something else going on. So I like that sort of stand down where basically, you know, Saeed tells Jack, you go lead your people to the temple, I mean, to the tower to get rescued. I'll take care of this ambush. And the only reason why that kind of made me giggle is because... What was the last ambush that Saeed planned? The yacht. It, yeah, didn't quite go so well there. But in any case, yeah, um, Jack definitely got a plan, but not, just, you know, I, I, I was really a little frustrated with him. Rose and Bernard, to me, have the most authentic, real relationship on the show. Uh, definitely a, a one of them, certainly. And uh, they do come and go. I mean, it was the practicalities of their shooting schedule and the work that they were doing on the mainland. Right. But I, it's still a relief to see them. And just the, way, just the same way it's still a relief when they just pop up randomly, even in season five. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not suspecting that their story has much more to it, but they definitely added a little bit of levity and, and color sort of in the, in the way you needed because of this ramping up of the tension and, and what's going to happen. Yeah. Danielle is someone who just pops up randomly. Oh, yes, I mean, we definitely. don't even know where she is when she's gone. She's just out in the jungle or something, and she just pops up, and she has dynamite. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very odd that she just sort of lurks and just sort of shows up. What really strikes me is that they, they traipse out into the jungle to meet her, and rather than work on 
transporting this dynamite. We need to show you the dynamite first. That's we need a, to blow what up. <laughs> if they had needed that dynamite, or what if they were being watched? What exactly. if that? How you don't think they would notice it? I mean, how many episodes was it ago? Less than three episodes ago, where the you know Hurley accidentally sets off the flare, which brings Mikhail running because of, uh-huh. you know they don't know where we are. Oops. So if that's a mistake, then how could they make this exact same mistake with a big piece of dynamite? It must I, have been Jack's idea. I definitely, <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I definitely <laughs> hear you, though, on, on how that's weird. Um, I will say that if there is a sour note or a false note struck in this episode, the thing that we just sort of didn't feel right was the whole thing with Carl. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, the episode opens with Carl jumping into the you know the yeah and running through the forest jumping into the canoe and rowing across and then we see it in the middle of the episode as part of the continuum um as to all these events that unfolding. is really awkward it's it's kind of sloppily handled and awkward and just to see it happen twice in the same episode they could have spent that time doing something else yeah, i'm not sure what the twist was or what cleverness they were trying to give us by showing us that the way they did it and i gotta admit i'm really kind of over carl i mean he's just a little annoying <laughs> he's he's got that voice and when he gets to the shore and he is yelling at the top of his lungs they're coming right now uh no No, that's just too much. And they actually did that a couple of times in this episode. The music in this episode particularly, I think, might have been cranked up a little too high. It might have hit 11 because they did did two things the exact same way. The very opening scene where Jack leads them into the jungle and he says, you know, this time we know what they want. They're going to be, we're going to be ready. This time we're going to be waiting. And the music is building and building and building while he's saying that. And finally he pauses, the music stops. And then he says... We're going to blow them onto hell. They do the exact same thing with Alex. He goes, the music is building. It's building up this tension. No, you don't understand. They're coming. Long pause. Silence. They're coming right now. Yeah, I noticed that too. That, you know, just the editing maybe in this episode might have been the only weak part to it for me. Um, There were a lot of funny lines in this episode, though. Yeah, um, Juliet addresses Carl um, after. He says, yeah, she's a spy. Yeah, (laughs) they know Carl. But thanks. But thanks. Definitely like that one. And of course, early on, Charlie saying the, the, the lament from Lost fans from season one, which is, why does everything have to be a secret? How about some openness for a change? <laughs> well, the problem is, if we had a lot of openness, it'd be a you know a five-episode show. But in any case, so I definitely like that. Anything that you noticed or little new things, details? Am I the only person that thinks Charlie's family heirloom is, is kind of cheesy looking? Well, it's I, maybe there was just a different sense of style back then. Maybe... The, his grandfather was uh, was a gothic artist. I don't know. It's <laughs> It certainly is a little bit of a garish ring, but it's definitely recognizable. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that Charlie's band, when they're in the present and they're driving around and they get stuck in the rain, uh-huh. it's a Volkswagen van. Yeah, I know. I noticed these things. I, I mean, when we find out that the Dharma mobiles are, are Volkswagens, it really made me happy because I love Volkswagens. <laughs> you have a whole Flickr um, album d- devoted to the, yep. the Volkswagen vans that you see around town. So that was kind of cool. And another visual motif was losing a shoe. Yeah, Charlie lost one of his shoes while he while he was diving to the Yeah, and they glass. linger on that. So something about just shoes out floating around outside and away from their person I think is kind of a neat uh, a neat icon for the show. Anything else? Charlie survives his flashback episode. Oh, absolutely. Actually, that's a big deal. I mean, that's actually why this episode had the impact that it still did right. even watching it again because no other character has had that happen where they they seem to be so clearly spelling out his death, which they've been spelling out for five or six episodes uh-huh. that you're you're just waiting for 
he's going to bite it. He's going to bite the bullet. He's going to bite the bullet. And the he gets to the looking glass. The girls come out with the gun. And you're like, oh, no, he's going to get shot or something. Right. And yet, no, the end, you know, thud. He's not dead. Now what? What's going to happen? So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it, it's good when the show messes with your expectations. Yeah, that's that's it. what I loved about this episode. All right. Well, all we've got left ahead for this rewatch is the season finale of season three. But good golly, we had a lot to say about mm-hmm. these three episodes. And you did as well. So here we are, 42, 43 minutes into the podcast. So I think we're just going to give you fair warning now. We're going to push well into the next hour. I suppose if that frustrates you, we'll refund your purchase price for this (laughs) podcast. But hey, you know, we're moving into the holiday season. Why not indulge a little? In any case, we're going to take a quick break to catch our breath. And when we come back, we'll hear from you all, everybody. There seems to be agreement across the board that this was a great series of episodes. And we'll start with Leo in Maryland, who says, I always felt that the end of season three was a grand apology for the false start at the beginning of the season. I remember loving these last episodes. And on this rewatch, I still love them. The power of the death scene and the insights into Richard in the brig, followed by Ben's delicious backstory and the introduction of Jacob in the man behind the curtain, followed by the sorrowful joy of greatest hits. These three episodes were a great lead in to the finale. Agreed. Absolutely. So let's get started with feedback on The Brig. Here's a call from Mr. Jacob. Hello, Al Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling in to the Season 3 rewatch for the first time. Um, It's great to take a step back through Lost History with you. I'm especially glad to be at this part of Season 3 because uh, I think that The Brig and The Man Behind the Curtain and Greatest Hits and Through the Looking Glass, uh, that it's, you know, the best five consecutive hours in the entirety of Lost. Um, But I'd like to talk specifically about The Brig. Um, This is one of those episodes that works so well, even on its own, not unlike, uh, you know, Trisha Tanaka's Dead or The Constant. Um, Both the flashbacks and the present time story are so compelling. And I really think it's, you know, it's lost at its best. We're getting great mythology, but it's wrapped in such strong character development. Uh, And uh, Josh Holloway's acting during Sawyer's confrontation with Cooper. It's just amazing. You know, his, his confusion, his pain, and his rage, you can really see it in his eyes. And it's so real. It's just outstanding. Um, it's just crazy to think that uh, Josh Holloway is a guy who had really limited acting experience for Lost, and here he is just, you know, being outstanding. Um, of note to the entire picture, we have Albert deliberately undermining Ben. Do you think that Jacob approved of this or even knew about it, and what's the uh, greater picture that he's referring to? Um, anyway, I'm jumping out of my skin with anticipation for February 2nd, but uh, the rewatch with you guys is helping to ease the pain a bit, so thank you very much for that. Adios. Mahalo for your call. And yes, uh, Josh Holloway, supposedly not a really well-trained actor. Knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Fantastic. But so do you think that Jacob knew that Alpert was trying to undermine Ben and install Locke as the leader of the others? I don't know. To me, that implies that Alpert has been talking to Jacob all this time. And I don't really know that that's the case because I think um, Alpert is just as mystified by Jacob as Ben is. You know, I was thinking about it. I mean, it was only until his call asking you, like, does does Jacob approve of this? It occurs to me when Ben goes to see Jacob, he goes to find his cabin in the jungle. When Locke goes to try to find Jacob, he again is going into the jungle to find this cabin that moves around. That's where they go to find Jacob. But in season five, when Locke finally tells Alpert, take me to see Jacob, Alpert heads straight for the beach. I mean, he doesn't even think or doesn't occur to him that there was a Jacob in the jungle so I think just as we've kind of surmised that the person in the cabin all this time was not Jacob but the man in black that to some extent yes Jacob has I mean Albert has 
been talking to Jacob all this time. Ben thought he was talking to Jacob all this time. I mean, they've just been dealing with two completely different forces on the island right. and not know it. So uh, definitely food for thought. Let's move on to Michelle in Honduras. He says, the magic box is a metaphor, John. So what are we to take from that statement? Well, I recently read the book, The Third Policeman mm-hmm. by Flan O'Brien, and you did as well, yep. which we see in Desmond's Hatch in an earlier episode. In the book, the main character is at one point taken into an underground labyrinth sort of similar to the Swan Hatch. He's shown a box that contains a substance called Omnium, which his guides tell him can transform itself into anything he desires. So he wishes up some whiskey and money and whatever else he wants. He then wishes up a large bag to put all his treasures in, and it's not until he's ready to leave the underground labyrinth, dragging his bag that his guides tell him that if he attempts to take anything he's received with him when leaving, he'll die. This seems like a reasonable explanation for the gifts that the island has given our losties. The most obvious example would be the island giving John the ability to walk, but when he tried to leave the island, this ability was taken away through his disgusting broken leg. On a more esoteric level, John left the island with faith in himself and his specialness, but was unable to sustain this newfound confidence off-island, leading to his attempted suicide. So, can this apply to the other Losties who have left too? I'm not sure, but it's something to think about anyway. I think all of them who left really suffered. I I think Kate is the only one that really gained any understanding of herself or any any you know she's the only one that grew as a person only because of Aaron but the whole thing about the magic box and the thing in the third policeman I think that's good stuff Mm -hmm. Red Walrus writes I think the brig is a real important mythology episode it could even be considered a twin mirror episode with the incident Ben is trying to get Locke to kill his father with a knife and in the incident fake Locke is getting Ben to kill Jacob with a knife maybe even the same knife also Richard strangely goes out of his way to get Anthony Cooper killed he tells Locke that he won't have a purpose until he does then in follow the leader fake lock tells richard that he's found his purpose there seems to be a link so here's the wacky theory the anthony cooper we see in the brig is really the man in black himself and richard knows it anthony cooper was introduced in an episode called deus ex machina which in latin means god from the machine it's also a literary device used as an unexpected or improbable solution to a previously unsolvable problem Anthony Cooper took Locke's kidney, but that actually saved his life when Ben shot him through his side. Anthony Cooper also had a big part to play in getting Locke to the island by starting Locke's depression and paralyzing him. He also initiated Helen's breakup with Locke and ruining his shot at a normal life. And Anthony Cooper also started Locke hunting, which is related to the hunter or farmer motif for Locke throughout the series. Anyway, there are a lot of little mysteries surrounding Anthony Cooper, which makes me think he is more than a con man. I like a lot of these uh, observations that uh, that Red Walrus is making, but the thing about the knife definitely occurs to me. You know, yeah, it seemed like that was that. the tool that they were supposed to make these to to kill these people right. with but he gets strangled so it's not even not even him who kills Anthony Cooper for one thing but he's not even stabbed mm-hmm. he's he's strangled so now i'm going to really want to think about that uh, guitar architect sent an email and said the death of Anthony Cooper signals a turnaround for both Sawyer and Locke Sawyer realizing that he has just fulfilled his mission of killing the man who killed his father throws up and from this point on begins to discover the man he really is who James is not who Sawyer is a la Inigo Montoya from the Princess Bride Prepare 
to die. We see a new sire, one who reaches his final culmination of civility by domesticating with Juliet. Locke, meanwhile, is also finding himself in a new place. With the release from the burden of his father, he can trust in fate again. As he believes that fate brought him to the island, we also see in this episode that the others believe that it is fate that Locke is brought to them. Ben is trying frantically to deflate Locke's confidence, but Richard helps him set up the meeting between Sawyer and Anthony Cooper. You might say that Richard, like Mrs. Hawking, is an agent of course correction for the island. But this would tend to make me think that he's working for the man in black, not Jacob, since Jacob is all about the choice and the man in black is deterministic in his thinking. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he's maybe the maybe Richard is the on island agent and Mrs. Hawking is the off island agent. Yeah, I mean, they both kind of had that role of getting people where they need to be. I kind right. of like that. But the question as to whether it's Jacob or the man in black and who's the greater plan, this, you know, these twists are continuing that debate as to whether there is a good or bad if they're, if these people are exactly who we think they are. Right. I like it a lot. Vera in Russia writes, technically, Russia. Brig is a lock-centric episode, but for me, this episode was owned by Sawyer. The confrontation scene between Sawyer and evil, evil Cooper inside the Black Rock is one of the most intense and amazingly performed scenes of the entire series. His emotions were so raw and heartbreaking. The moment he realized who that SOB in front of him really was, the pain in his eyes, the way his voice quivered when he called his mother's name, his rage after Co- Cooper's insulting blah, 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 top-notch, professional work. I tell you, Josh doesn't get the recognition he so deserves for his craft. Yes, he is a very handsome man and hot, <laughs> but don't you think it is immoral that he keeps getting all these useless best beach body and sexes sexiest tv hunk awards and nothing for his outstanding acting well in my book he's already got an emmy for disappointment well all i can say is amen amen absolutely dave m writes we've just finished watching the brig and i happen to notice a bit of role reversal between Locke and ben ben starts out the episode in a wheelchair and slowly regains his ability to walk as the episode progresses ben even uses one of Locke's season one mantras scolding john by telling him don't tell me what i can't do meanwhile Locke becomes more manipulative to get sire to kill his father for him he tells just enough of the truth to Ben Sawyer to his will, just like Ben. Of course, soon Ben and Locke end up back at square one. Locke is incapacitated, and Ben is on top again, having manipulated him to the Dharma pit to dispose of him. Is this an example of what comes around goes around, or a test of the reset button? I don't know. I like the comes around goes around thing. It's very, I don't know. We see a lot of examples of it on the show. And I'm definitely starting to take back all of my complaints about characters that revert to their old ways and stuff. I mean, I think to some extent they're being true to life and that's kind of the overall message of the story. BCK Lockhart writes, I loved this episode. I think it's even better watching it with season five eyes than it was the first time. At the beginning of the episode, we see Ben, Locke, and Cooper, and Ben says to Locke, you brought him here. After watching season five, it makes me wonder if maybe Locke did bring Cooper there, but this version of Locke didn't know it yet because in this Locke's timeline, it hasn't happened yet. Then Ben says they are all leaving, going to a new place. Well, an old place, actually. This is probably the temple that they went to. This dialogue makes more sense now. Later, when Ben and Locke are talking at Ben's tent, Ben says, When people join us here on the island, they need to make a gesture of free will, of commitment. That's why you're going to have to kill your father. This again reminds me of what Jacob would say in the season 5 finale when he talks about free will. 
Well, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go that far down the two locks theory, you know, rabbit hole and say, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so then there's going to be another lock or the fake lock or flock. And in some other timeline, he does go to Tallahassee or sets into motion the events that causes the crash to get his father sent back to the, I No, I don't think I'm willing to go there. But certainly because of what they did in season five, you can come up with these theories. Anything yeah, can course. happen when you play like that. But the the observation about, you know, having to kill his dad to as a gesture of free will, I think that's kind of curious as far as the common conversation with the man in black and Jacob. I don't think he says free will specifically, but Jacob says that even if they are stuck in a rut and end up repeating the cycle of violence, anything that happens in, you know, in that point is progress, that anything that right. they do to break out of that is progress. So that's kind of curious. They always kill each other, they always kill themselves, yet it's the killing of this haunting of this burden that Locke has is supposed to be a good thing. So, yeah, good thoughts all around. Lou from Daisytown, Pennsylvania writes, The Brig and the episode that follows make me frustrated all over again with John Locke. I have loved him for all those times when the Losties were confused and hopeless and then Locke would walk out of the jungle seeming confident and ready to kick ass. But then Ben or Locke's father come along and yank the rug out from under him over and over and over. I have never really understood Locke's relationship with his father or with Ben, and we got a big dose of both in these episodes. Looking back, I can't help but feel that the writers just use Locke to continually set us up for disappointment. It seems that way now, but I really think they have something up their sleeves as yeah, long as, I mean, far we, as Locke is concerned. In our past podcast, we've made the same frustration, like, you know what, how many more times can he go through this cycle? But again, I really am confident in the end game for what his character is all about. Chris writes, best line in the show, as long as he's breathing, you'll be that sad, pathetic little man who got kicked off his walkabout tour because he couldn't walk. The way Ben's voice cracks when he delivers this line made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and Kevin Ty, who plays Anthony Cooper, was spectacular in these episodes. He really had me going with, don't you know where we are? It's a little hot for heaven. Also enjoy the little wink when Anthony Cooper told the story about being in the ambulance and the EMT actually smiled at him. I grew up watching him on the show Emergency when he played an EMT. I hadn't even, know, I hadn't no, even thought about that. No, I didn't that. think about that either. So that's a great observation. But, you know, that line about you being the pathetic little man on the tour, I love that line because it seemed to stab me in the heart because we remember still, I mean, Walkabout was the episode yeah. that just sucked us into Lost for good at that point. So just that reference was very powerful. Well, let's move on to The Man Behind the Curtain with a Lost Line call from Christine. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Christine from Ohio. Three great episodes this week. Uh, my favorite was the man behind the curtain. Um, I know you guys like mirroring, so I wanted to point out that um, Ben's mother, before she died, said, call him Benjamin, and that's mirrored later in Season 5 by Emily Locke. When Locke was born, she said, call him John. I hadn't really noticed that before. Um, and I just wanted to say, Malakalikimaka. I probably butchered that. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks for your call, Christine. And yes, Melikaliki Maka to you. And Haoli Makahikiho. Absolutely. And uh, I like that. She points out that both uh, Ben and Locke um, are, get their names as the last request of their dying mothers. Who are both named Emily. Yes, exactly. I mean, the parallels between them just keep going. And Christine also had a lot of thoughts about Jacob's Cabin and the master classes. So all good stuff. Now we've got another call from David. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is David from Memphis. I just wanted to share a couple thoughts I had with you after watching episode 20, The Man Behind the Curtain. Um, When uh, Ben goes out to the fence and uh, sees his mother, got me thinking, I wonder if that's what Horace was doing in 
um, season five, uh, I think it was LaFleur. Um, he's out there drunk throwing dynamite. I wonder if maybe he's seeing somebody and throwing dynamite at them. Of course, you know, it's the smoke monster. And the other thing I thought of was when uh, Ben takes Locke to see Jacob, that, uh, and Jacob asked Ben, uh, I'm sorry, asked Locke to help him. Uh, maybe he's referring to uh, season five where he needs to impersonate Locke so he can get to Jacob. So maybe it really wasn't Jacob in the cabin. I think in season five they even mentioned that uh, Jacob hadn't been in the cabin for some time and somebody else had been using it. So um, all this time Ben thinks he's been talking to Jacob, but maybe he's been talking to uh, uh, Jacob's nemesis. Anyway, just a couple thoughts. Great show. I appreciate all the work you put into it. Mahalo, David, and thanks for all the listening that you put into our show. So what do you think that uh, the, what Horace was actually doing when he's out there by himself th throwing dynamite is because he's interacting somehow with visions like um, Ben's mom out there? Well, it's in the same time period. It's right, definitely that's... in the same time period. Why Emily would appear to Horace, I don't really know. But maybe he's seeing something from his past. Maybe he's having a very similar experience to Ben, and that's how he is processing it or trying to Possibly, deal with it. Possibly. We still don't know what happened to Olivia. But I like the idea that it's the same time period, because when we have the others attacking and you know Ben's in the classroom, I guess it is an actual shootout, but part of me was like, maybe the explosions that they hear sometimes is Horace playing with dynamite. But yeah, I mean, we just discussed it. It seems quite like that uh, that Ben's been talking with the nemesis all this time, and when he says, help me to Locke, well, yes, Locke ends up helping the guy. So I think that's even more evidence yeah. in favor of that theory. Yeah. All right. Lindsay from Ontario writes, I absolutely loved the episode, The Man Behind the Curtain. It was so great to see it again, and wow, was Roger Linus ever a jerk. I forget how totally horrible he was. His character does a great job building the depth of Ben's character, though, because I definitely pity the poor boy. Also, I think Locke is already under some kind of influence in this episode. His actions are so confident and full of purpose when he and Ben are preparing to go and meet Jacob. He's just way too cocky. Something is up. This episode also got my wheels turning, wondering about what happens in Ben's life between the time we see him get taken to Richard for healing after he gets shot by Saeed and the purge. I hope this gets covered in season six. My guess is that Richard facilitates Ben's healing and sends him back to be patient and wait for the time that he can take over as leader after the purge, but it would be interesting to see more. I'm telling you, there's more than one lock. Already at this point? Yes. I'm, I'm still not sure if I'm on that, that but, you know, I think uh, Lindsay makes a good case. Now, this is, I forgot, we didn't talk at all about how this episode fits because it jumps right over the period that we explore yeah. in season five. So it did occur to me that when Ben runs into Richard into the jungle in this episode, he doesn't seem to recognize the guy. He seems pretty shocked that this pirate yeah, fellow is out there. that's true. So it seems clear that what if, if they had this in mind at the time that the explanations that Ben just has no recollection of what happened. But mm -hmm. the way to fit this in together, I, I I don't think they have any time to go back to the 70s to explore any more of this. Yeah, in I six. really I don't see that either. Jen in Chicago writes, any episode giving Ben's backstory was bound to be great. And this one certainly did not disappoint. The Dharma side scene was gut wrenching. And Michael Emerson was definitely at his best during this scene. Who knew someone could still emote so well from behind a gas mask? This episode also raises questions about the motivations of the vision 
visions on the island. If Smokey is behind the visions, such as Ben's mother, and Smokey is bad, was it then an evil force on the island that led Ben to Richard and eventually resulted in him leading the others? Would that make Ben a puppet for the man in black, or, the man in the black robe? Well, if Ben is a puppet for the man in black, I think that's one thing that we're kind of leading to with these conversations, that he thought he'd been talking to Jacob all this time, but he's, he may be, in fact, fulfilling the, the, man, the man in black's purposes. I really feel that everything we've seen thus far is you know i think everybody is a pawn of either the man in black or jacob right and just assigning them i think is where the fun happens and then we get into the debate as to whether one is good or bad i also agree yes how how can you act as only michael emerson can act that great in a gas mask and emailed and wrote Locke sees that Ben really is the man behind the curtain. Instead of the great and terrible Ben, we have a panicked, frantic Ben who, like Oz, tries any and every trick he knows to maintain his illusion of power. And like Oz, the more Ben tries, the faster the illusion is stripped away. One big difference between the Oz of Bombs books and movies and Lost's Ben, though, is that at least Oz can honestly say that he's a good man, but not a very good wizard. Ben's self-serving, boasting, his pride in being smart enough to pick the winning side just makes me sick. Ben finds finds it so easy to forget that his place as leader of the others was bought with acts of genocide and patricide. Well, that's that's true. And Ben really has a very strong sense of entitlement. And it really reminds me of the scene in the finale of season five where he's he's whining like a petulant child that that Jacob didn't pay attention to him. Right. I mean, he basically puts himself as someone full of honor who doesn't lie, but he's exactly the opposite of the things that he supposedly represents. Phil writes, the man behind the curtain has to be one of the episodes I rewatch the most. When I first found out this episode was going to be a Ben flashback, I thought for sure it would uncover why Ben is so bad. To my surprise, I found myself sympathizing with him the most. To see how Ben is blamed for the death of his mother and belittled by his father is heartbreaking. Then he tries to escape the pain by running away, only to see visions of his dead mother and eventually meeting Richard. How is that not the blueprint for the most complex character on TV? Absolutely. And of course, they repeated this in season five where, you know, we see young Ben and the poor kid gets shot in the chest by (laughs) Saeed. I mean, talk about a really rough life. I hear you. Steve O from Orange County writes, Richard asks young Ben if his mother died on the island. I think this hints that he knows about Jacob's nemesis and his ability to use dead bodies as vessels. For example, Christian Shepard, Yemi, Alex, possibly Mikhail, and Locke, of course. The fact that Ben saw someone who didn't die on the island means that he didn't just see a manifestation of Jacob's nemesis. And I think that's something we discussed. Yeah. That's definitely a key that he was trying to determine with those questions. Gavin in Pearl City writes, Ben takes Locke to Jacob's cabin with absolute certainty, but when they have to go back there again in future seasons, the cabin is in a different location. It appears that only certain people know where it is located. How did Ben know where the cabin was since later we learn that he never has spoken to Jacob? Or can the cabin be found only when Jacob wants it to be found? Well, that's, I mean, certainly a question that's still lingering out there. And now we're coming, we're, I think we're feeling that it wasn't Jacob in the cabin. But yeah. it's true that the cabin moves around, too. And, you know, Ben didn't hesitate to go there just like Albert, or, yeah, Albert doesn't hesitate to head toward the beach when he wants to see Jacob. But uh, why does it move around? Why does it become a problem? I think what uh, Gavin says is true. It's only when Jacob wants to be found that he can be found. Well, let's finally move on to Greatest Hits with another call on the Lost Line. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Will in San Francisco again uh, with this week's Watchback. Greatest Hits. Um, This one, I hate to point out the inconsistencies. Uh, Ben's never talked to Jacob directly. 
Uh, at least that's what we get when in season five, again, he says, you know, Richard brought me all your scraps of paper, all your lists. So how has Ben able to tell Richard that this is what Jacob wants? You know what I'm saying? Mm, don't know about that one. And uh, even though I'd already seen the episode, you know, I have to say uh, I welled up a bit seeing when he put when Charlie put the ring in the crib. Kind of like the same kick in the gut I got when Sun pulled it out in season five. And let's face it, Charlie and Hurley, again, end up stealing the show. You know, I didn't want to go on your stupid little trip anyway. Ah, come on. I miss these guys interacting. I hope maybe we somehow get to see a little more of it somehow, sometime. I don't know. Anyway, keep up the great work and mahalo. Mahalo, Will. So what has Ben up to when he tells uh, Albert that this is what Jacob wants? He's bluffing. I mean, either he thinks he's really talking to Jacob or he's bluffing. No, I don't think he even thinks he's talking to Jacob. I think that's established. And I think when he says that, he's not. he's been doing what he's been doing all these years, basically passing on um, directives from Jacob, even though they were really his plan. But uh, I agree, Charlie and Hurley were a great buddy team. Yeah. And however they could possibly do it in season six, I would love to see more of that. Michelle in New York writes, this is Charlie at his absolute best. Healthy, selfless, even pure. It's all the worse since we know how the story ends. I still have bones to pick about the decision to kill him off. Now, I know that the idea of having a sentence overturned, so to speak, just because one demonstrates that he or she is willing to undergo it is a bit of a trope. But isn't that kind of what the island seems to be about? Fixing people, changing them, moving them towards their better selves? Charlie passed his test in greatest hits. He committed himself entirely to sacrificing himself not just for Claire and Aaron, but for everyone else on the island. That sacrifice and the extent of Charlie's self-improvement seems to be recognized at the end of Greatest Hits when it seems that he may actually make it out alive. But that is taken away in the finale. I admit, it seems to me that such a willing sacrifice deserves a different ending. For crying out loud, Claire doesn't even get to his greatest hits list, does she? No, she doesn't. Well, that's true. And uh, on one hand, it's what the island is about. But since season one, it seemed that as soon as you got your issues worked out, it was curtains Yeah, so Shannon, Ana Lucia. But she says that deserving a different ending because he accepted it, that's true too. Because, you know, Echo became defiant about his, whatever his judgment would be. Right. So, I guess I can see that, and we definitely do, Miss Charlie. JJ writes, there's something I've picked up on from the episode Greatest Hits. In the flashback where Charlie jumps into the pool with his dad, if you listen closely enough, just at the moment Charlie steps forward, you can hear the words, hurry up, Desmond, come on. Now, this got me thinking, did Desmond influence something here that allowed Charlie the ability to swim? As we know, he couldn't until now. Maybe before Charlie jumped into the pool, Desmond spoke to him about jumping in and trusting his dad, which now changes the future. We know Desmond is unique and the rules don't apply to him, so he must be able to influence the past. Maybe that's why Widmore wanted him on the island, so he could mim- minimize the disruption caused by Desmond in the timeline of the world. And that's absolutely true. There's a very noticeable young child kind of yelling at another child about Desmond. Hurry up, Desmond. You know, you're holding us up. There is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I I, you can go online and see people that were like asking questions about this a great deal when this episode aired. And that's fascinating. That it is seems fascinating. That, can you imagine a young kid, Desmond, being at the same pool as Charlie? I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the implications of that. But I, you know, again, I don't know. The island's not done with Desmond yet. We might still find out. I hope so. All right. Carol in Shirley, Massachusetts writes, This episode was a bit difficult to watch the second time because I watched it with the knowledge of how he will die. It made it very poignant. What struck me most about this episode is how much his character evolved. He went from being a selfish heroin addict to a man who would give up his life for the people he loved. It was such a selfless act, and I couldn't help but tear up when he gave Aaron the 
the ring. I'm still waiting for the moment when Claire gets the ring. I do hope the last season has more episodes like this. The pace is so quick now that they don't have the time to really concentrate on one character so much. That's true. And yeah, so the ring and the list, there's a lot of you know emotional payoff that we're waiting for with Claire. Nate in Ohio writes, the very last of the traditional flashbacks before we were introduced to the flash forwards, and this was one of the very best. I still get a bit dusty every time I watch the scene with Charlie and Desmond rowing out to the looking glass. Moments like this are what make Lost the best show on television. Season 5 was great, but was for the most part missing those emotional character moments for the sake of mythology. I still think that somehow, someway, Desmond's vision of Claire and Aaron getting on the helicopter will come true in Season 6. It would be such a huge emotional payoff that I have to believe the producers will make it happen. I certainly agree with that. And yep. yeah, I mean, we... we we have said regularly that the velocity of season five was was fantastic and you know see to your pants stuff but it did seem to kind of push to the wayside this focus on what was happening with the people that we liked especially in the season finale right. so they have said that they feel that season six is going to be more like season one in this character way and I for one am happy for that Terry emailed great episode I love episodes like this when they start ramping things up at the end of the season and put the pieces into place for the finale the beginning of this episode is why Jack is one of my favorite characters his plan to stop running and hiding and instead blow them all to hell. This brings up the question, though, of the helicopter rescuing Claire and Aaron. I hope this gets addressed in the final season. Yeah, me too. I think the helicopter is so much a a focus of how things are going to either play out or prove what he said is true or false somehow that it's going to have to be addressed in season six. Robin writes, as I am trying to avoid gaining a reputation as a party pooper of the lost community, I would like to point out that all three of these episodes are fantastic. Josh Holloway should have won an Emmy for the Brig, but... The scene where Jack explains his plan to kill the others is not a proud moment for the show. Desmond questioned why they should kill Mikhail only three episodes ago, yet goes along with the plan. Juliet lived amongst the others for several years, yet doesn't seem bothered with killing her former friends. She doesn't even bring up the issue of whether this action will start a war that the survivors might well lose to their more knowledgeable opponents. Similarly, Carl goes along with the murder of his friends, who presumably are the only family he has ever known. So some disagreement from Robbie versus Terry. Terry liked the plan that, all right, I know what we're going to do. And basically, Robin pointing out that, hey, how come nobody has any of these? Nobody has any questions about this. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that point about Carl. Carl could have been there since he was a little kid and and he might consider the other's family. Yeah, I mean, maybe Juliet wants to wants a change and is going to take down Ben and if anyone who will go down with Ben, she doesn't care, but there's certainly some uh, and yeah, you know, Desmond's like, you've killed more of them as you've killed of us, but this sounds like a perfectly good plan, but definitely great observations. We're, we're well past one hour and 15 minutes, so I think that's all the feedback that we can share on this show. Of course, we got a lot a lot of great feedback this week. We did. I, I we think got more than lot. we ever had during the season three rewatch and we appreciate that and we enjoyed every thought you shared with us now we do want to send a shout out to sergeant drain over station seven and jason from north carolina both sent great voicemails uh, jason sent several voicemails because he decided to listen to nothing but the transmission during a long long drive across the country and was basically giving feedback on every single podcast <laughs> this summer but that was great now finally we'd like to take a moment to specifically thank listeners who recently gave us great feedback on our podcast on itunes so mahalo to 
Bad Wobot, Hooligan X, Drumhead98, Kitty D, Scott of Eugene, Juicy NYC, and Kevin from PA. Thank you, everybody. Absolutely. That's really nice of you. Now, remember, every email, whether or not we can include it in the podcast, enters you to win some very, very special prizes. We have got a limited edition Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll, courtesy of Entertainment Earth, a copy of the Season 3 and Season 4 albums from The Other's Lost Band, mm-hmm. copies of the latest edition of Nikki Stafford's great book series, Finding Lost, a Lost Season 5 special edition Dharma Initiation DVD box set from Buena Vista Home Entertainment, and guys, it's awesome. It is. And rare swag from Damon Carlton and a polar bear dot com ARG. That's right. Now, yes, the, the DVD box set, we got the one that we're going to be giving away. We didn't open the one that we're giving away, so we got one for ourselves, and I couldn't believe it's it's so worth it. It's if you're a Lost fan, awesome. I mean, it's much more expensive than the little box that matches the same box sets that they've been putting out, but it comes with so much great stuff, and we got the rare submarine patch. Yes, we uh, did. That was pretty cool. But, you know, by the way, someone said that when you get the other DVD set, the one that's supposed to match the ones they put out with the plastic sleeves and uh-huh. everything, they changed it. It's cardboard. It's not see-through. It doesn't what? look good on the shelf next to the rest of them, so if they're going to do that, you might as well get the full Dharma Initiation Kit DVD box set. Yeah, and it's if that's totally the case, worth it. You might as well try and win it from us. So that's great, and it's all for you, our beloved listeners. So again, all you have to do to win any of these great prizes is send in an email participating in this Season 3 rewatch. But if you haven't been keeping track, we're up to Episode 21 of 23, so you've only got one more podcast left to share your thoughts and put your name in the hat for our rewatch giveaway. So get writing. And for our next scheduled rewatch podcast, we will cover the two-part Season 3 finale episodes 22 and 23 through The Looking Glass. Mm -hmm. We'll also devote some time to discussing Season 3 as a whole. So if you have any thoughts on that, we'd love to hear them. So get out those DVDs. It's the green box and do that (laughs) as soon as you can and send your feedback to us to include in the December 27th show. Now for best results, send your thoughts via email to lost at hawaiiup.com but you can also post it on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or call and leave a message on the lost line at 815-310-0808. Coming up in about three minutes, we will have the forward cabin. But first, paving the way, here's a little musical interlude. This is a song by the other's lost band. It's based on one of the episodes we just discussed, and the song is called Greatest Hit. Claire, let me tell you about number five. Drive shaft on the radio for the first time. Come on, everybody! Yeah, that guy in the rain. Me and Liam were fighting again. Do 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 all the greatest hits of the sad stories used for life. Number four, when I was a lad, I jumped into a pool. Impress my dad. It was fond memory to see my dad so proud of me. Do 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 do. It's all the greatest hits of my sad stories, useful life. Desi told me that this time I had to die. Which brings me to number three Liam gave me a ring that's important 
Greatest hit by the Others Lost Band. And that was based on the 21st episode of Season 3. Great stuff and a song for every episode of Lost. <laughs> you can find more information on the band and hear more of their great music at www.myspace.com slash the Others Lost Band. Now it's spoiler time, so if you don't want to know what's coming up, you might want to skip to the That's end. That's right. Now, for much of last week, there was a lot of filming on going on at the film studio. My friend at KCC just tells me that they're all cooped up and they're using the spillover parking lot. So, of course, there's not much to see. But Mike, a visiting fan from D.C., did spot what looked like the mast and one wall of a wooden ship with a weathered door and some crates and barrels. And there are other reports on spoiler sites like Dark UFO that pretty much confirmed that, yes, we are going to see the Black Rock this season. Now, I don't have much sources that want to give out too much, but I can tell you that it's definitely a prison ship, that we've got prisoners on it and things don't end well for them, and that Richard Alpert is there. No surprise. We've been wondering about that kind of pirate look that he's Mm -hmm. always had. There's also going to be a priest in these scenes. And finally, there's going to be Esau, yes, AJ, Anti-Jacob, or The Man in Black, returning to the show. Great stuff. Now, last Thursday, a friend of mine actually got to be an extra for a scene filming up at the old hospital and asylum above Pearl City at the end of Waimano Home Road. Now, this is a location where they previously filmed Locke's Birth, where Alpert came to visit. This time, though, the hospital wasn't in California, but in Russia. Mm. Yes, it was a Ilana scene, and of course, that's where we last saw her before she arrived on the island, and she was visited by Jacob in Season 5. Now, this was for what's supposed to be an Alpert-centric episode, the long-awaited, much-anticipated Alpert flashback. I can't wait for it, so I'm thinking that Ilana may be connected to more people than we previously thought. Now, this week, the production spent a lot of time on the north shore of Oahu, and of course, that was a little tricky because we were seeing record high surf. Mm-hmm. They even ran the Eddie Aikau Invitational Surf Contest, which is only held when surf is, I don't know, 30, 40 feet yeah, high. Yeah, they've only run it eight times in like 25 That's years. That's right. So. so traffic was backed up for miles. People couldn't get in and out, but they still persevered. Now, for one, there was a two-day shoot at the Turtle Bay Resort. That's the hotel out there. It actually was the, the set or the scene for a show called Hawaii that was mm-hmm. filmed here when Lost first started filming. In any case, a friend, Chris, was actually staying at the hotel. He was on business from home on Maui, and he was actually two doors 
doors down from one of the rooms that they were using. And he said his view was a little weird because there were these giant tubes and metallic, you know, basically the air conditioning that they were using to mm-hmm. enhance the uh, the temperature in that room with all the people in it. But in any case, he said that the first day on Monday, they were using the front desk of the hotel and that behind that desk, none other than Daniel Day Kim or Jin. So, oh. of course, you know, we saw Jin working in a hotel. I think he was the doorman for son's mother or... No, uh, he worked at the hotel owned by Jay Lee's dad. Oh, right. The lover. Exactly. So it looks like that, you know, still in this world, whatever's going on post uh, 815, that he still kind of ends, in, ends up in the visitor industry. But uh, Jay Lee, you know, that guy wasn't anywhere to be seen. Son was there, though. Uh, the call sheet for Tuesday that he may or may not have actually gotten hold of also included, <laughs> yes, bad guys Omar and Kimi from the freighters, the freighties. I was really sure we weren't going to see any freighties in season six. So it's kind of good that they're they're turning up now. We had mentioned earlier that Omar and Kimi were in a kitchen scene with Saeed. So, you know, basically they're puttering around in this world. But uh-huh. the most interesting person uh, turning up for this scene at the hotel where Jin is a uh, uh, employee was Mikhail. No. Yes, Mikhail, Mikhail, the Russian dude. And I'll, I'll, Seriously? Exactly. And all I can say is that his ability to speak many languages still seems to be a factor, a little a little fluent there in Korean. And that, uh, you know, when we talk about course correction, it, it's a little close to the phrase, I don't know, vision correction. So it looks like Mikhail might have some... I don't know, eye issues to deal with as well now. Also this week, they filmed again at Police Beach. That's the old beach camp set. And they actually did some filming in the jungle near the beach next to the Turtle Bay. Now, my friend Brian, uh, his brother often hikes the Green Trail. Now, that's a popular hiking trail which runs from the Turtle Bay Resort to the shore on the west side. And he saw tents and fire pits being set up um, one day near the banyan tree where Charlie was hung in season one. Of course, he wasn't allowed anywhere near the filming the next day, but he says the actors on the set... included Josh Holloway, Terry O'Quinn, Naveen Andrews, and Emily DeRaven. Mm. So a lot of stuff going on on the island. On Monday, they did a quick shoot uh, back at Kane Ohe near Windward Community College. Now, this area was uh, used for Hurley's Asylum. It was mm-hmm. also where you and I got to see them using the pool, and they filmed the, oh, yeah. the canoe scene with uh, Sawyer and Juliet. So a lot of stuff that happens there. This was a scene for Daniel Day Kim, but other than that, I don't know what else was going on. We're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, the next day, Tuesday, they were filming off Pali Highway along Nu'uanu Pali Drive. I can't tell you how many people told me that they saw the, the base camp signs along the road driving into work, so of course I had to check it out during lunch. Now, this was near where they do a lot of jungle shooting along Judd Trail, but in this case, they were using a couple of locations. They were using a really nice-looking house for filming. I'm not even sure if it was a house. It had a lot of glass and pillars. kind of looked like a museum up there, but in any case, that was being used, but definitely very locked up. They were also filming, though, in the jungle off to the side of the road, further up the road. So uh, there was a tree in a bit of a clearing, and uh, there was some kind of a rock or a stone monument nearby. I'm not sure if that was always there or if they were they put it there for a loss. But in any case, I did see Jorge Garcia there. He's dressed in red, and he was doing a scene with Nestor Carbonell or mm-hmm. Albert. He was wearing dark blue, looking his usual stage self. And there was also a dark-haired woman who was doing some close-up dialogue shots while I was there. But uh, I'm not sure who she was. She looked a little bit like Ilana or uh, Zuleika Robinson. Yeah, Zuleika Robinson, but I'm not 
I'm pretty sure it wasn't her, but it was someone who looked like her. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were filming there. So good stuff. Now, finally, on Thursday, a visiting fan was on the Koss Hummer Tour. and They do great work over there. I sent most of the folks over. Now, actually, it was her second Hummer Tour because her first one was cut short because of the traffic that we mentioned. Oh, so we actually kind of got a two-day uh, tour. And in any case, it was good news for her because she got to see more setup for filming going on at Police Beach. And then she went to go see the fish ponds out at Kualoa. You know, this was where uh, Jin's dad was mm-hmm. and also where they had the dock with the submarine. Well, guess what? They were pulling a submarine out of the water while she was there, and it was not the Galaga. Yes, it was a different submarine, so locks blow up everything that get you off the island tour did not remove the only <laughs> underwater form of transportation to the island. Actually, if you're talking about different timelines, maybe then that just never happened. Mm. I don't know. But in any case, a different sub, definitely you know, sleek and black, at least the very top of it in any case. Now, someone else on the tour told her that they'd actually filmed it with the day before and that they saw on the set, or actually near the set, in a tent off the highway, Matthew Fox, Jorge Garcia, Mark Pellegrino, or yes, Jacob, mm-hmm. and again, the man in black. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they actually they were at the submarine, they were in the area, but Kualoa is such a hotbed for their filming. They could have been in the jungle, they could have been on a beach, but in any case, again, those were the actors that were seen by someone else on the cost tour. Third-hand information, but anytime somebody sells, you know, the man in black and Jacob, I'm definitely excited. Yeah, me too. All right, so that's it, though, for the filming updates for the last two weeks here on the island. We're basically moving into the last few days before the production takes its break. When it does take a break, it won't start up again until January 10th, but as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, January is a great month for Lost fans because on the 30th, they'll be doing the Sunset on the Beach premiere three days before the rest of the country can see it. I cannot wait. We will definitely be there. But that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. So remember, your homework is to watch the two-part season three finale. That's episodes 22 and 23. And get your feedback to us by Friday, December 25th. You can make your feedback your Christmas gift to us. Now, (laughs) this show is powered by you. So please send us an email, comment on the blog, call the Lost Line, post a note on iTunes, and you can tweet us on Twitter. We love hearing from you. Drop us an email at Lost at hawaiiup.com comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost call the lost line at 815-310-0808 or find us on twitter he's at hawaii i'm at mrs hawaii and i'm also on facebook facebook.com slash jen ozawa yeah and you love the facebook i can't get you off it i'm (laughs) facebook.com slash ozawa now if we don't connect with you before then we just want to say mele kaliki maka and haoli makahikiho that's merry christmas and happy new year to you all 2010 will be an incredible year for lost and we can't wait to spend it with you stay lost everybody aloha aloha This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.